Only God knows since a child I've been mindful But I can't discover the light With my eyes closed Blind to see what was inside But now I know A love that goes beyond you and I Yeah, I know Only 15 when God reached me I was overcome Unprepared to receive God showed up I dropped everything Tears poured out I said, Lord, I believe You are not alone when God's calling You can be strong when God's calling So pick up the phone when God's calling He died for your sins, now you are chosen You are not alone when God's calling You can be strong when God's calling So pick up the phone when God's calling He died for your sins, now you are chosen God's calling God's on the line, no matter who you are, now is the time, he chose you, no need to apply, use what you have, then glorify, his blood covers us, now we're alive, you are not alone when God's calling, you can be strong when God's calling, so pick up the phone when God's calling, he died for your sins, now you are chosen, you are not alone when God's calling, you can be strong when God's calling, so pick up the phone when God's calling, he died for your sins, now you are chosen. God's calling, God's calling, God's calling, he died for your sins, now you are chosen. God's calling, God's calling, God's calling, he died for your sins, now you are chosen. Lord, I hear your call, I'll leave on those moves at home during the week. I'm not working on the message, but I'm working on the moves. So, God's calling. God's calling you. And 
your call is really important to us. In fact, it's our job, our role, and our desire to help you find that unique place that God has called you to. As I said last week, if we don't already have that place, that platform, we'll create it. Because if God has called you here, he's given you a gift and a specific call on your life. And we want to share that with you. Would you pray with me as Father, we thank you that you call each and every one of us. Such a privilege. Help us, we pray, to live up to the call that we each receive. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God's calling. Last week we looked at vision, what we have our sights set on. This week we look at values, what we have our hearts set on. You know, and sometimes with our vision, because we all have our sights set on something, and with our values, we all have our hearts set on something, sometimes we have to evaluate that and reset our sights or reset our hearts. Now, I've got to tell you, a long time ago, I had my heart set on something. In fact, 1965, I was 10 years old, and I had my heart set on working for Walt Disney. That was it. And I'm wondering, how many years? 55 years later, is it time to reset, do you think? It's not, is it? No, I looked over here to the Disney corner. No, it's not. I could still do it. I could still do it. I could still do it. I have lowered my sights initially at 10. I thought I was going to be an animator. I've lowered my sights now to I'll do anything. <laughs> and I'll do it for nothing. I'll volunteer at Disney World if necessary just to, to be in that place. I'm going to do it as well. We were there one time at, at Disney World, and it was great. We are getting ready for a parade. You know, everybody sits on the floor, ready for the big parade to come. They've got horses and things, you know, horse-drawn carriages, and they'd gone beforehand. And there was a guy there whose job it was to clean up after the horses. I'll do that. I don't mind. Because he had such flair with it, because as he was coming along, suddenly everybody started to do like a Mexican wave. Yay! And this guy just saw what was going on. He started to pick that up and you know, throw it over and catch it and perform into that space. How good is that? God is calling. We have values and things that our hearts are set on. So let me ask this question right at the beginning. Are your, what, what's worth more to you and to others? Your values or your valuables? What's worth more? And as you ponder that for a moment... Let me ask another question. Would you put your hand up if you've made a will? Come on, guys. Everybody should have a will. I've got a will. If you've got children, you should have a will. Good on you. Yeah. You, you need a will. <clears throat> you remember the old adage? Where there's a will, there's a, a relative. Yeah, there is. So you've got to make sure you know who gets what. You really do. And let me ask a question. Your relatives, those people, beneficiaries who would be on your will, what would they value more? What would be worth more to them? Your values or your valuables? Valuables. It's an important question. Very important. When our children, we, we've had a will since our children were very small because we realized 
that we had family. I have brothers and sisters who'd be capable, in the absence of Christine and I, if something happened to us, they'd be capable. And the natural thing would be that they would take them as part of their family with their cousins. But there's a problem with that. And that is that my family, God bless them, I love them dearly, but they don't share my values. They don't share my faith. So how could I just let chance take place and my children be brought up in the absence of the thing that I value more than life, which is faith? So we couldn't do that. So we started to pray and we started to look around and we identified a couple, Dave and Jackie Rose, may their names be blessed forever, who were just a little bit younger than us. They had a young family like we did. And we prayed about it and we asked them, we said, you know, we're concerned that if anything happened to us, we don't have anybody who could be guardians of the faith. Would you take that role on? And if you will, we'll set it up legally with our estate so that it will not impact you financially or your own family. And that will carry through until they're 21 years old. But we would really appreciate if you would love our children and share faith with them. And they came back to us and said that would be an honor and a privilege. And we had the assurance for those years that if anything happens to us, our kids will still be in a faith environment. Later when we moved to the States, we had to go through the whole process again. Because if something horrible accident happened, we didn't want our kids disrupted and sent you know, internationally. And so we had another couple, Tony and Suzanne Twist. And these couples are people that we identified not because they had wealth and resources, but because they had tremendous faith and they lived out those values. And again, Tony and Suzanne accepted that responsibility for our kids. And thank the Lord, we didn't have to call upon that. And now, of course, they're old enough. They don't need to do that. So when we make our wills now, which we have done, it reflects a different uh, emphasis. But this is important. Robert Powell, not the actor, the economist, wrote an article that was published in the Wall Street Journal back in 2012 on the 20th of December. And it had an interesting title. It was, Passing on your valuables, passing on your values. And in that, as an economist, he noted that one of the greatest things we have is our wisdom and our values that we've gained in life, but we spend more time and are more deliberate and spend money with solicitors to make sure that we pass on things that are less valuable. Some value, but you know, your grandmother's engagement ring is intrinsic and it has value, but it's not as valuable as your values. So we ask the question, why do we do this? Why do we spend all this time and money just going on the valuables when we have the values? Remember, valuables are many. Values are few. Valuables vary. Values never do. Who could have believed that two weeks ago that toilet paper was going to become so valuable? <laughs> That's unbelievable, isn't it? that people would be fighting you for toilet paper. Who could have... I mean, I still can't believe it. I see the scenes, but I still can't believe it. Can you? It's become so valuable. By the way, why did the toilet roll roll down the hill? Because it wanted to get to the bottom? I had to use that because, you know... 
I'm like, here's my opportunity. I'm never going to be able to use this again, so it's got to come out now. So forgive me. We move on. Get rid of that illustration now. What's going on? Wouldn't it be the same context with the other things that we call valuables from God's perspective? Doesn't he look at that and see us as panicked children running after toilet paper? A lot of people are going to inherit a lot of toilet paper in the future because people have basements and they have uh, attics full of that stuff. And they're not going to live long enough to use it all. So, what's going on? Our values are more important. Here's what Robert Powell says. Um, he said, we should, as well as making a will, we should list our values and they should go together. The principles we had in life, the, the guiding principles, the, the values we had in life, the theology, the philosophy we had in life, the vision we had, the mission, these should be listed as well. And I thought, what a great idea. We should do that. I was thinking, Chris and I should do that. We've got a will here, solicitors, kids know that. We should do that as well. I still think it's a good idea. But here's an even better idea. Live it out rather than spelling it out. That's even better, isn't it? Flesh it out in your life, your values, what you have your heart set on, rather than have it read out at your eulogy. Be much better. A woman was at the funeral for her husband. They'd had a long marriage together. Grown children were there and the grandchildren. You know, if you've been to a lot of funerals, which I have, you'll find out that um, people generally value comfort more than truth, don't they, when it comes to eulogies. We can get a bit, wax a bit eloquent there. She's on the front row with her grown family. And the man who's doing the eulogy, he's talking about her husband, and she's getting a bit un uncomfortable with what he's saying. During the service, very discreetly, she leaned over to her adult son, and she said, after the service, if no one can notice, before the cremation, just have a look in that box. Make sure it's your dad. Because <laughs> it doesn't sound like him from what I'm hearing. We can avoid all that by living out our values. In fact, the Lord himself encourages us to do that. In Matthew's Gospel, you remember Jesus said, be very, very careful that you don't put too much worth on things that someone could steal from you. Or that moths could just eat. People could break in. Instead of doing that, he said, make sure your values are those eternal values, kingdom values. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 21, he says this, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I love the way that Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase of the Bible, the message, which is good to read alongside, said on that same passage, Matthew 6, 21, Eugene Peterson says this, he says, where your treasure is, that's where you want to be. And will end up being. Now that's pretty confronting because that could be heaven or it could be hell depending on where your treasure is. As kids we used to love to make treasure maps. Do you ever do that? The kids still do that today. You get a candle and burn around the edges so it looked like it was old. On the computer it's not the same. You can't burn it on the computer. 
So, and you put a big X where the, you know, where it, where the treasure is. And then it kind of dawns on you that, that actually God says that, that that's, that's what it is. That's your heart, where your treasure is. You know, in their case, it was in a dark, deep hole. What a horrible thought that that could be your fate, eternally separated from God. Jesus said, what good would it be to you if you gained the whole world and forfeited your soul? Imagine this place where you've got all the material wealth in the world, but you haven't got God or anybody to share it with. Hell on earth. So instead, we've got to choose our values and live our values wisely. I love the way that Paul describes it, man of great passion and of experience with the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, it gives us the value that we take as our value as a church. And it's on the list of things that we, we encourage when people consider transferring their lives to this church or becoming followers of Jesus. It's chapter 4 of Ephesians, it's verse 1. Paul says this, I'm a prisoner because of the Lord. He's in a Roman prison. I love the way that he still sees his call in everything. He doesn't say, I'm an apostle and those nasty Romans have put me in prison because I'm doing good. He says, no, I'm a prisoner for the Lord. No matter where I am, I'm on call. It was Paul and Silas, you remember, it's recorded in Acts uh, 16, who were doing good and got arrested for it, got a flog in. It says, beaten without mercy with rods. You imagine that would open up their backs. They got locked up in the deepest, darkest cell, chains on their feet, and at midnight, the Scripture says this, what were they doing? They were praising God. And the place shook. Because when you're on call, any circumstance gives way to God's call. And the chains fell off. You know the rest of the story. A wonderful experience. The jailer and his whole family became followers of Christ. Paul baptized them that early that next morning. Being on call. And so Paul writes this, I'm a prisoner because of the Lord. So I'm asking you to live a life that's worthy of what God chose you for. Sometimes in some versions it says, I urge you to live a life worthy of your calling. For what God called you for, live, live that call. That's what Paul says. And then he goes on to talk about some of the values around that. Verse 2, don't be proud at all. Be completely gentle. By the way, this is Donald Trump's rule book for living. Be completely gentle. Don't be proud. Be patient. Put up with one another in love. The Holy Spirit makes you one in every way. It's he who brings unity so respect that. So on our list there, and we, we encourage everybody to do it every year, about March, to, to review that. It's our covenant together. We value first and foremost that you live up to the calling that God's called you to. And then we list four other things. Unity, uh, responsibility, service, and integrity. And we ask you to covenant with us to keep the unity of the church. To keep the responsibility firmly on all of us. We're all responsible, not few people, for the church. To serve in the church, to discover what your gifts are in the community, to discover what your gifts are and to put those into good use 
for God's sake. And last, that we have the integrity of being people who worship in spirit and truth, privately as well as corporately, who give proportionately and regularly, who pray and read God's word together and individually. It goes on, by the way, I've got those forms if you want to talk to me about that and can talk you through that. He goes on to say this, it's the spirit that keeps us one. So try your best to remain as one. Let peace keep you together. And this is a particular kind of peace that Jesus spoke about. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, not the peacekeepers. Peacekeepers are people who keep quiet because they don't want to rock anybody's boat. That's not the kind of people we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be courageous people who can speak the truth in love to each other, challenge each other, and still stay together in spite of that. Peacemakers, not peacekeepers. And he writes this, There is one body and one spirit. You were appointed to one hope when you were chosen. There is one Lord, one faith over all. There's one Father over all. He is over everything, He's through everything, and He's in everything. But to each and every one of us, we've received a gift of grace. These gifts are given to us by Christ. Gift of grace means you don't deserve it. There's nothing that you've done that could warrant that. But God gives them through Christ because He's generous, because He loves you. And it's for your blessing to give to other people, for you to add value to other people's lives. So it, in a nutshell, this is what it looks like. God calls you as his child. As his child, he calls you to work with him on something wonderful. It's personal. It's relational. It's something wonderful. He doesn't call you to go and do something great for him or about him or around him are underneath him. He calls you to come and do something wonderful with him because he loves you. And this is how he goes about it. He puts desire and passion into your heart, those values deep down. And he does something else. He puts a gift into your hand that is specifically designed for you to use in this project with your father. If you don't do that, if you ignore it or you're not aware of it or whatever, here's the thing. The kingdom won't come to an end as a result. So there's no pressure there. But there is concern. Because if you don't do it, you could still be saved, by the way. But if you don't do that, you're missing out on an important truth. And it's this, that there is a God-shaped vacuum in your heart. Blaise Pascal said that, very clever guy. French philosopher. He's the guy who invented the hypodermic syringe and the stethoscope. And he said this, there's a God-shaped vacuum. Nothing else will fit it. Only God. And that has a missional shape to it as well. And here's what happens when we don't get our fulfillment in what God's given us. What we do as a default is we try and fit other things to find fulfillment in that vacuum. That's when instead of values, we start looking for valuables, thinking that they will bring some fulfillment. That's when we objectify people instead of valuing them for who they are in God's image, 
we try and shape them into something that would be valuable for us. We become users of people as well. That's when our heart is set on being fulfilled by accomplishing things that may be good things in themselves, but it's the set of your heart that's wrong because you think once you've achieved that, then you're going to find ultimate fulfillment. So it's things and it's other people and it's achievements that are trying to fulfill you. And that will never, ever work. Because we know from the rich and famous and well-accomplished, it never, ever fulfills. There is only one way that you find total fulfillment in life, and that is discovering your GGC, your God-given calling. It's unique to you. It's your God-given calling. That's the only thing. Everything else is temporary. It's eternal. Chris and I have been talking about this and values. It's good to bring them out and look at them and say, are we really living up to these? The other day we were doing that. We were asking the question in terms of uh, faith and family, do we really value both? See, with our family, we realized when we looked at that, our granddaughters and our daughter and her husband, we haven't seen them since Boxing Day last year. And we went, oh, that's a long time. We really value them. And so my defense mechanism was, well, they could come down any time. They just haven't bothered. But in truth, when I take responsibility, the truth is this. They are time poor as a family. We have more discretion on time. So we said, we, we need to go up and see them. So we planned it on Thursday. Thursday night when we finish work, when we've had dinner, we're going to get in the car, we're going to go up. Friday's our day off. We'll come back Friday night. We'll spend that time there with them as well. Thursday night was a significant day for us, something that we value because it was our first date anniversary. 5th of March is our first date anniversary. And on Thursday, it was actually 50 years since our first date. We were just five and four in kindergarten at the time. <laughs> so we went up on this date thing with our kids and we spent the next day with our daughter who had a day off work. And that night when our kids, our grandkids came home from school, and by the way, I got to take them to school. How good is that? I know it's a burden when you're doing it every day, but afterwards that changes. It's a value. And I'm like, whoa, how good is this? I asked them, do you want me to hold your hand as you go to class? They said, no, it'll be okay. Just drop us off here. <laughs> so, you know, it's a value. And then we went down on the beach that night just to have fish and chips near the beach and to spend time. And I got to share some values with my girls, my granddaughters, and my daughter, and my son-in-law. You see, when I was in the UK on this last trip, uh, my brother-in-law gave me two articles that he downloaded from the internet. And it was about my great-great-grandfather. And it's my granddaughter's great-great-great-great-grandfather who was uh, an engineer in the mines, and he was a manager of some mines back in the day. And this was an article that was covered in a local newspaper back in uh, 1866. And this was a grim time for people to be mining in the UK. This was the Industrial Revolution. We always say, because I'm from the North, as is Bob, we always say that the Industrial Revolution that took place was paid for with the blood and sweat from people from the North. The miners 
up in Lancashire, where I'm from, and Yorkshire. They had terrible lives. Boys were going down pits at that time. They'd been taken off the farm. They'd moved into this and, and dying. I can show you near a family grave, there's a memorial to the men and boys who died in a local mine, over 80 of them. It was terrible. Christine's grandfather was killed in the mines. But here was an article, and I had my eldest granddaughter read it out, and it was about Daniel Battersby, who's the great, great, great grandfather they'd never heard of. And in this newspaper, it's saying this. It's talking about him valuing his men to such an extent that it was the only colliery in the area that had actually, at a tough time when people were losing work, given 10% increase to all the workers. And he was being honored for that and given them an advance on that as well. So she read that out and I said, isn't it, isn't it amazing we can be reading this all these years later in Australia about a relative who valued and added value to others. The second article was also about him. It was two years later, it was 1868 which I assume was his retirement, never mentioned retirement, but it mentioned all his workers getting together to honor him and give him a gift. And when you think of the gift in that context of these very poor, our working people, it's an incredible gift. He gave him a pair of spectacles before Specsavers, you see, with, with gold, real gold frames, and a gold watch with a heavy chain, it says, eight ounces of gold, beautifully inscribed, a gold pen, can you dip in? inscribed as well. And they gave him a purse with 45 pounds in it. Obviously at that time, this was very important that they spell this out and they've gone to all that, that, that detail and it was a lot of money back then. Um, the first question was, where's the watch? <laughs> you know, where's that watch? Where's that gold pen? Where's those gold glasses, Poppy? Well, they're gone. We don't know. But this is the thing. We do know this, that he valued other people and he added value to them with his life. He did that, and they recognized that in valuing him as well. And here's the real important thing. Our real value is not in material things. It's in what we hold dear. And it's in the Lord and how we can be part of his kingdom and serve him. I want to finish with these words from Ephesians 3. It's a prayer from the Apostle Paul. It says this, I bow down and I pray before the Father for all of you, from the Father, every family in heaven and earth finds its name. And I pray that he will use his glorious riches to make you strong. May his Holy Spirit give you power deep inside you. Then Christ will live in your hearts because you believe in him. The greatest treasure that we have is that Christ lives in our hearts. Not that he gives us gifts, that's a bonus, but that he lives in our hearts hearts. We treasure that for ourselves. We treasure it for your children. We treasure it for your children's children. We want to be a place that people, years and years and years from now on, will look back and say, remember those folks? Remember mom and dad, granddad? They had real value and they added value to other people. John Maxwell says this, before you can add value to someone else, you have to value others. We value them the way that God does, then God does amazing things. Let's pray together. So Father, we thank you for valuing us so much that you gave your son. That you valued us so much you were willing to die for us. Help us to be so mindful of 
value in Christ that we too would be willing to die. Help it never be that things come before faith. We ask it in Jesus' name to his glory and to the blessing and benefit to other people. Amen.